0: We started off this series uh, talking about Jesus when he's getting ready to head from Jerusalem into uh, he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem in anticipation of the cross and what laid ahead for him, and and we talked about even as he's doing this, he announces to his disciples that he's getting ready to be crucified and mocked and scourged and humiliated and all of these things. But along the way, he stops and he heals a blind man, and he he stops and and uh, meets Zacchaeus along the way and talks about this is the whole purpose that I came is to seek and to save that which was lost and and just looking at these last words that Jesus speaks and the importance of it and then we looked at the parable of the minas and 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 just that illustration of how the kingdom of heaven uh, is is that there's things that uh, uh, have been given to us and entrusted with us, but there will come a time when he is going to come back and look and, and, and expect a return on investment. And, and like what have we been doing with the gifts, the time, the talent, the treasure, the abilities that, that God has given us? And have we been faithful to use those uh, for the kingdom of God? And today we're going to kind of pick up again... We're going to be in Matthew today, so if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter twenty-one. And if you want to turn over to John, you can start in uh, chapter fifteen. We're going to pick up there. These are these are the uh, stories that come from the the last week of of Jesus's life. But we're going to start out in Matthew when he's getting ready to enter in uh, to Jerusalem. So last week we ended right before he got to Jerusalem. He was in uh, went through Jericho and healed, but now he's getting ready to enter in. Jerusalem. This is a story that many people speak, uh, and uh, especially on Palm Sunday, this is a, a very familiar story uh, for for people who've grown up in church and everything. But we're gonna we're gonna look at this. Matthew twenty one, verse seven. It says, "They brought the donkey and the, the colt, and they they put the, uh, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them." And most of the crowd went and they spread out their cloaks on the road and and others cut branches from trees and spread them out along the road. And so this is what's known as the triumphant entry into Jerusalem as Jesus enters in. In verse 9 it says that the crowds went before him and they... uh, followed him and were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so he comes in and 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 the crowd is is going crazy the crowd is 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 worshiping him and and and, and saying hosanna and, you know this is their savior this is the one who's come in the name of the lord this is the one who they think most of them think are going to deliver them from roman oppression and 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 not realizing even his own disciples we talked about that last week his own disciples didn't fully understand this but he heads in, and the very first place that he goes, he goes into the temple. In verse 12, we'll pick it up, and it says Jesus entered into the temple, and he drove out all of those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned tables and money changers and in, in the seats of those who sold pigeons. And so like, it, it, Jesus obviously is upset about something. You know, you never see any other place where Jesus just goes in and starts wrecking the joint. Like, I mean, this is something that, this is passion coming out in him. That's why many people uh, call the last week of Jesus' life is Passion Weekend. And and I think that's important because everything that we're studying in this series are going to be things that Jesus was passionate about, teaching about, and letting people know uh, what 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 was near and dear to his heart, and so he goes in and and there's a whole lot of different things in this, and I don't want to really get in that. That's not the focus of this message. The the but he goes in and like these people had been cheating the uh, people and 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 you know giving them wrong animals, like just all this stuff that, that was there. And so he's upset about it. He goes in, he turns the tables over, in verse 13, he says, it is said to them, it is written." That my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. Jesus defined that his desire for his house was that, and, and his temple is that it would be a house of prayer. And I think if you look around the world, People understand this a whole lot more than what we do in America. Like when I talk to our pastors in Africa all the time, they're, they're talking about the prayer meetings that they have and and all this, and 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 there's many nights on Friday night, they go in and they have an all-night prayer meeting, and, it, and it's like, this is a frequent thing that takes place. I was talking to the pastor in Uganda. Uh, I'm getting ready to uh, go over there and do a pastor's conference and everything, and And mid-conversation, he just kind of cuts me off, and he was like, "Hey, it's 11:58. I gotta go because we're going into prayer." And it wasn't 11:58, like almost lunchtime. It was 11:58, almost midnight. And he was going in for their because those pastors get together, and every Friday night at midnight. They are praying, and they are seeking God, and they are, like, they understand that, that, is, that God's house is to be called a house of prayer. Where in America, when we have a prayer meeting, we're lucky if we get one-tenth of the people who attend that church on a Sunday who actually come to a prayer meeting. We're lucky if, it, if in the services and take place, we're lucky if 10% of the service is spent in prayer. But Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I think there needs to be some adjustments and things in the way that we view prayer. Especially if we just saw, and I just told you about how when we were in here in prayer, God began to open doors and make ways for us to be able to get those supplies in. Uh, at three quarters of a million dollars in supplies going in because there were prayers taking place. What miracles are on the other side of prayers that we have yet to pray? But this statement is a multifaceted statement. It's, it, it, yes, it means this house should be a house of prayer, but Jesus is getting ready to teach his, his disciples and everything that the Spirit of God is going to move into them and that they are going to become uh, uh, the, the, the place where the Spirit of God dwells And and Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, from whom uh, you have from God? So Jesus told him the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell within you, Paul is getting ready to explain what it means and why it's important that we understand that the Spirit of God is inside of us. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. You are a temple. If God says, my house, and Jesus said, my house, and he was talking about that temple should be a house of prayer it's correlating now that if we are the temple of God, we should be houses of prayer. Hopefully, Summersville got that better than Mount Hope did. We should be houses of prayer. Now, you, If you go to a church... And, and they don't put an emphasis on prayer, they don't ask uh, people to come and pray and, and all of that, then you really can't control if your church that you attend is a house of prayer, but you can control whether your temple is a house of prayer or not. And Jesus said, it's my desire that my temple, that my house, that the place where my spirit dwells is going to be a house of prayer. Jesus continues on down the street. And again, he, he's, this is just a few days before the cross. And as he's going down the street, he, he heals another uh, blind man. And the and, and lame, it says that it, they were bringing the sick to him. And he goes and he heals them. And, and then he goes and spends the night in, in Bethany. And he comes back, and we'll pick up the story in verse 18. It says, early in the morning... As he was returning to the city, he became hungry and he saw a fig tree on the wayside. And he went to it and he found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And watch what happened. The fig tree withered up at once. So he's going around and this is time that the fig tree should have fruit. Now this has a whole nother connotation and stuff like fig trees are supposed to have fruit in their third year and from the third year on they're supposed to continually have fruit and if we are, are Christians and stuff you should begin to see like for early years and stuff there's rough edges and things that need to be worked out but by the time we've been saved three years there should be some fruit in our life that people should see. Jesus looks at this fig tree and it has no fruit and he, and he says let no fruit be uh, come from you again it withers up And then in verse 20, it says, when the disciples saw this, they marveled, saying, how did that fig tree wither? Did you see that? Like, he said the words and all at once, it just withers up. And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly. Some translations say, verily, verily, or, you know, whatever. But when when he's saying this. This is is drawing emphasis. This is an important thing. This is Jesus saying, hey, I'm not just lying to you about this. If you have faith and you don't have doubt, then you would not only uh, do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you would say to a mountain, be taken up and throw it into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer... You will receive if you have faith. Now this verse really has been used a lot of times to beat the church up. That if you're not seeing the answer to your prayer, then it means that you don't have faith. But there's other things that are in scripture that that uh, teaches us other things. There could be things like you could be asking not according to his will. Because there's many times it says if you ask anything according to my will I will give it to you. There, there's other things that say you have not because you ask not. or, or And when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons because you're only going to spend it on what you want. And, and, and things. And so motive and heart and and is it God's will and things? They, they all factor into some of these things with prayer. But many people will take this passage of Scripture and say, well, if you don't have uh, anything that you're asking for, then it means that you don't have faith. And they want you just to say things more and... And, and declare things more and all that. And, and listen, I believe that we should be speaking the word of God. I believe that we should be uh, speaking that. And one of the most powerful things you have when you pray is to stand on a promise or the word of God that he gave you. I mean, I, there, there's power in that. But he didn't promise all of us a jet plane, he didn't promise all of us that we would be millionaires. He didn't promise all of us that we're going to win the jackpot, $1.7 billion or whatever it is. Like he, he didn't promise all that. So you can name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, say it and spray it all you want, but it's not. It, there's no promise that it's going to happen. Faith is not what you say, it's what you live. I remember being uh, on the Capitol floor when they were, we were talking through some of the religious freedom things and everything. And, 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 and I got up and I was like, listen, people want to say that I have to leave my faith at my house, that I can't take it into the public square and things with me. But that's where you're mistaken. My faith is not what I say. My faith is who I am. My faith should be evident in my works. That's what James says, that I will show you my faith by my works. So it's not enough to just say I have faith that God can. Our faith is demonstrated in what we do with the rest of our life, not just our prayer life. Our faith is demonstrated in do we forgive people who have been harsh against us. Our faith is demonstrated in do we gossip or do we refrain. Our faith is demonstrated in do we tithe or do we not. Our faith is demonstrated are we faithful to each other and and carrying one another's burdens. Our faith is demonstrated in the way that we interact with a waitress when they get our order wrong. That is what is demonstrating our faith. Our faith is what we live. And so, if we can cast a, a, a mountain into the sea, if we have faith, our faith shouldn't be in what we say. You should be able to see my faith in what I do, because I love people. I serve people. I give. I prefer others is better than myself. I, I humble myself. I don't just build my. Like, do you see what I'm saying? One of the other areas that faith should be demonstrated, if we believe what the Word of God says about hell, then shouldn't we be telling and talking to lost people a whole lot more? And many of us don't have the faith enough to invite somebody to church, but we want to tell a mountain to go get in the sea. I ain't going to work. Start exercising your faith in the small things. Start exercising your faith in showing honor. Start exercising your faith in turning the other cheek. It's awful quiet in here. <laughs> Summer's real. I hope y'all are shouting me down. Summer's, and Mount Hope's just staring at me. Jesus taught on prayer at the Last Supper. The last thing when he's with his disciples, he's teaching them about heaven. He's teaching them about servanthood. He's, he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. He's teaching them about all these things. And one of the things he talks about is, is prayer in, in John 15. And I'm not going to read the whole passage here, but we're going to pick up the verse 7. He says this He says, If you will abide in me, and my word abides in you, to abide in him doesn't mean you attend church once a week. And unfortunately, in the church world that we live today, it's more like once a month. We've got a bunch of once-a-month Christians that, that want to see the, the daily in the throne room results to their prayer life. And I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. I can go work out once a month, every month, but then every other day just gorge myself or be lazy or do whatever I want. And I'm telling you what, I'm not getting six-packed. It's not happening. I'm not going to lose weight. It's not happening. But there's so many people who want to see spiritual results without the spiritual disciplines. It says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, does the word of God abide in you? How many scriptures can you quote? Beyond that, how many scriptures do you live Because we can quote a whole lot more scriptures than what we walk out. If you do that, you can ask whatever you want. And it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you prove that you're my disciples. He he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, I don't even have to worry about whether you're going to ask according to my will or not. You can ask whatever you wish. Why? Because you're going. You're, your desire, if you're in the word of God and the word of God is in you, then your desires are going to line up with his desires. And that's why he can give you free reigns. Whatever you wish, you can ask. Because I know that you can be trusted. He goes on and we'll pick up at verse 14. He says, uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant doesn't know what their master is doing. But I have called you friends. Now, what's what's the thing of friendship here? And it's not if you do what I tell you to I'll be your friend. It's not manipulation. He's saying the result of friendship is that you're automatically going to do what I command you to do. That if you love me, you will keep my disciples isn't, well, if you love me, you would. God's not a manipulator. It's if you love me, the, the fruit or result of the love is gonna be an automatic obedience to the commandments. Okay? For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit, should abide, some translations say that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask in the name, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What's he saying? If, If there's an abiding, if there's a closeness, if there's a friendship in between me and you, then you can ask whatever you want. And you'll see me move. You can ask whatever it is and, and I will move upon your behalf. The, so many of us, we, we want the answer prayer without the relationship. And if we do that, then we are using God. How does it feel when somebody uses your influence or your wealth or your status or your position to get something just for themselves? Does anybody like to be used? Summersville, do any of y'all like to be used? Like, yeah, I like to be a doormat. I love it when people step on me and use me and leave me. But many of us, that's the relationship that we have with Jesus. We came to Christianity for what he could do for us. Not in gratitude of what he has already done for us at the cross. He says, if you do that, whatever you want, it will be given to you. But then Jesus, after he taught on prayer in chapter 15, Jesus began to demonstrate and and kind of set an example of a life of prayer. Now Jesus had always demonstrated this. You'll see throughout Scripture that jesus would get away and go to a secret uh, uh, a place by himself so that he could be with the father you know you'll see that early in the morning even even when Jesus is uh, walking on water he he had stayed behind to spend time in prayer and that's and he sent his disciples on ahead and, and but he had went and spent time in prayer they knew that they had seen Jesus consistently spend time with the father listen if the son of god needs to spend time on a consistent basis with the father how much more more do we heathens need to do that and Jesus modeled it in front of them his whole life but now he's going to begin to not just teach it but put it into practice in front of them a little bit at the end of John 16 we're going to pick up at verse 32 it says behold the hour is coming and indeed it has come That when you will be scattered, each one of you will go to your own home. I will be left alone, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. That that passage right there speaks volumes of who Jesus understood his relationship with the Father. Even though everybody else leaves me, even though other people betray me, even though it looks like I'm the only person in the room, I know that God is always with me. Goes on and says, And I, I've said these things to you so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. Come on, how many of you feel better right now? In this world, you're gonna have tribulation. Things are gonna get hard. It's gonna get worse than what it is today. How many just feel so uplifted right now? So at peace and calm. said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations, but take heart. Because I've already overcome the world. And then he didn't leave them there to where, because they didn't always listen to what he said. You know, they, they, and he told them to take heart, don't worry. But he probably knew in their mind, they're, they're going crazy. And so, so Jesus then shifts from a teaching to Jesus begins to pray for his disciples. And when we look at this, I want you to look at this as what he prayed for them, but in the prayer itself, and I'm not sure if if I'm going to read this particular scripture or not because I, I I spared you from listening to me read the entire chapter 17 and everything. So there's some little parts that I'm kind of skipping over a little bit there. But in this scripture, he said, I'm not just praying for the people that are in the room now, but for the people who will come to know through the words that you speak. We talked about this a couple weekends ago, or a couple times ago when I I spoke uh, uh, about that in John 17. And, And so this whole prayer is not just for the people that are in the room, but this is what Jesus would pray over you, if you were in that room now, and what Jesus did pray over you. And I want you to look at this. And I think this is something that every believer needs to go back and read over John 17. What did Jesus pray for me? And has it come to pass in my life? And if it hasn't come to pass in my life, is there something that he needs me to step into or agree with to make it be able to come to pass in my life? John 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said this, Father, the hour has come, so glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. And I love this because as Jesus prays, he's also teaching lessons. And can I tell you something, guys? This is one of the reasons why it's important that when we pray for somebody, that you Pray over them. Like, speak your prayer where they can hear it. It has value. How would we know this if Jesus didn't verbally speak his prayer over his disciples? This is not a a vision into Jesus' mind. This is John writing out. This is what Jesus prayed over us. You know, this, this weekend... I was able to go over to my uh, grandma's house, and uh, she she'd had a fall and was in the hospital for a while in rehab hospital and everything. She finally got to go home this week, and so I went over and I spent some time with her, and and uh, and I was sitting there talking to her about some things and stuff. And in 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 the living room, there's two recliners that are kind of side by side, and there's this little tiny end table about this big in between. And so you're you know you're sitting like right beside each other there, and. And, and so we're talking and, and all of a sudden she just reaches over and she grabs my hand and, and she's just like, hey, I want you to know that I love you and I pray for you. And I said, Mama, I know you do. And I, I, I'm grateful for those prayers. And then for the next hour and a half. The next hour and a half with tears running down her face. Oh, Brandon, I see God God's saying this to you and we begin to speak some things to you. Brandon, God's saying, I have never left you. I will never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way to the end. Even in the darkest days when everything's against you, I will be with you. I am for you. You are my son. I am pleased with you. And I'm just weeping as she is speaking these things. Why? not? If she had thought these things, I would have never knew them. It would have never impacted me. But because she spoke them over me. I could receive that as a word from God. God is with me. God has saying. and and she, there were certain phrases, she just kept getting stuck. Oh, Brandon, all I see is this. God says, and she would start saying the stuff, and 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 I finally looked over at Zia because Zia had fallen asleep in the conversation over there. And I just told Zia, I, I motioned for her to grab her phone. Why? Because I wanted to capture what she was speaking. John is capturing what Jesus is speaking. Not, not his sweet 87-year-old grandma, but what Jesus is speaking. You've given him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to him whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that uh, uh, that they would know you. The only true God and Christ whom you have sent. Can I hit pause button here just for a second? They had spent three and a half years with Jesus. And he just prayed that they would know him. Why? Because even a couple days before this, they still are thinking he's coming to overthrow Rome, and he's praying, "God, let them really see." He said, "I glorified you on earth, having accomplished all the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with glory that I uh, that <clears throat> with glory that I had uh, with you." Before the world existed, like He's telling them, I, before the foundations of the world, I was with you. Like I came from heaven to be with you. I manifested your name to the people uh, that you gave me out of, out of the world, and yours. Uh, they they were, and you gave them to me, and, and they have kept you your word, and uh, now they know that everything you have given me is uh, is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine." And I am glorified in them. Now he, he's going through this thing. You remember, he, he taught about the parable of the minas. How the time when he gave all the things out. That it was the, the noblemans all along. Now he's even praying this. Let them have a realization that everything that they have. That it, it came from you and me and us. For, for glory. And I am no longer in the world. But they are going to be in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. You have given, uh, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. There's still part of that prayer thousands of years ago, it has yet to be come to pass, but will. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which uh, you have given me. And I have guarded over them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction. And the, so, the scripture might be fulfilled. But I am coming to you, and these things, I, uh, these things I speak in the world, that they may ha- so that they may have ju- joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given you, I have given them your word, and the world has hated me because uh, uh, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And we got so many people in the church world today that their prayers, oh God, come back quickly because it's dark outside, Lord. And he said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you they're light. I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one and protect them from the evil one. But I don't want them hiding inside the four walls of a, of a church somewhere. I want them among the world so that they can be uh, so they can be light. And he goes on and says, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. and sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. What's going to sanctify them? The Word of God. Why could he say, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you can ask whatever you wish because you've been sanctified by the word of God. Many of us, if we would take the time to really dive into the word and get the word in us and abide in the word and begin to to walk out the word, we would begin to see all the answers to our prayer. Because we've proven that we would be faithful with the word and that word has sanctified us, it's purified our wrong motives and things. Goes on and says, "As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in your truth." And then I'm going to skip a portion where, he, because we read this a couple weeks ago uh, about unity and I, he, how he called us in the unity and everything. We'll pick up at verse 25. "O righteous Father, even though the world." does not know you, I know you, and, the, and, and these know that you have sent me. And I have made it known to them uh, your name, and I will continue to make it known that, love, uh, uh, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What's he bringing? He, he wants them to walk in love. He had just told them in John 13, the way that people are going to know that you're from me is your love one for another. The only way that we're going to be able to walk in love, though, is when we allow the word of God to bring to sanctify us. When we begin to line our lives up with the word, it doesn't matter what somebody else does. You can't control what somebody else does with the word, but you can control what you do with the word. Matthew 26 he goes on he leaves the last supper and he goes to the garden to pray in verse 36 it says then Jesus uh, went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there to pray this is just a few minutes like hours before he's going to embrace the cross and he's going to his Father. So many times in the darkest hours is the times when we're less likely to go to God because we're mad at God or angry at God or don't think that it's going to do any good to go to God or whatever. But here Jesus, in the darkest day and night, he goes to sit and pray. He goes on and says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began uh, uh, to be sorrowful and troubled and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. And uh, even to the point of death, remain here and watch with me. And he goes on a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to them, said to Peter, so you couldn't watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. He's drawing a connection here that prayer can help you avoid temptation. So, if prayer is what activates God to move here on earth, and prayer is what helps keep you from temptation and all of those things, do you see why the enemy doesn't want you to pray? Because in one 45, 55-minute prayer meaning three-quarters of a million dollars worth of supplies was going into a, a, a dire, dark situation. Again, what is on the other side of our prayers that we have yet to pray? Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, My Father, if this cannot uh, pass unless I drink it, then your will be done. And he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving, he went and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. You know, there's many people who tell you, don't don't pray the same prayer again. You're supposed to pray it once and have faith, and then it's going to happen. I guess Jesus didn't have faith then, because it just said he prayed it three times. We're going to listen to what Jesus did and what he taught, or are we going to listen to what somebody else taught us about prayer? The enemy doesn't want us to pray but one time and then sit around and wait. But God. And Jesus teaches about repetition. He taught about the the widow woman who was a persistent widow woman. He talked about the man who was knocking on the door. Even when he said, ask and it will be given to you. It's ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking is the, the verbiage there in the Greek. And he taught that on more than one occasion. Goes on and then it says, Then he came to the disciples and said, Uh, sleep and take your rest later see the hour is at hand the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going because the betrayer is at hand and then even when he was on the cross pull up the passage there in Luke I think it's Luke 23 Jesus looked down at the people who were mocking him and gambling over his clothes and all these different things and he prays, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The son of God prayed all the way up to the end. And even in his one of his last prayers that he prays, he's not praying for what he needs. He's praying for the forgiveness of others. And I believe it's because of this example that Stephen whether he was there or he heard the story of what Jesus prayed. I believe that's why in I think it's Acts chapter 7 when they're stoning Stephen to death that Jesus or that Stephen prays as they're stoning him to death, "Father, forgive them for they know not what, to do, what they're doing." And there just happened to be a Pharisee who was leading this whole thing, standing right there who hears the, that prayer. Who saw who later encountered Jesus And then went on to plant churches and write two-thirds of the books that are in the New Testament. You don't know what's on the other side of your prayer. What if Stephen had just thought, Father, forgive them? I can't say this for sure. But there's something that in Paul, I believe that the fact that, or, or what if he had not even prayed the prayer? I want you to notice one of the last prayers that he prayed was for the forgiveness of others who were attacking him even to the point of death guys I know there's been a lot of people who've been hurt in a lot of different ways in your life but if Jesus and Stephen can pray for the people that are attacking them even as they are murdering them In the process of the attack, it is in there because that's an example of what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus didn't just teach about prayer by the words that he said. Jesus taught about prayer by the example that he set. we need to allow those teachings to change and impact our prayer life. Begin to just look at this. The last days, what, what changes do you need to make in your prayer life? Are you not praying for people who are attacking you or, or have hurt you? Are you you need to do that? Are you, well, somebody told me I only had to pray once and never pray again. Do you need to be that person who's Keeps knocking and keeps asking. Is there adjustments you need to do in your life to show that you are a person of faith versus just, again, faith isn't what you say, it's what you live. I believe so many people are discouraged about prayer and devalue prayer and doesn't think that prayer works. I think it's because we haven't really looked at what Jesus taught and demonstrated about prayer how it can impact your life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.